culture is both is informing our bodies and is informed by our bodies. So if I don't look into my own body for the way that supremacy lives in me and control lives in me, then I won't be able to create new ways of being. I won't be able to evolve. But evolution also, you know, we're always in relationship and evolution happens in relationship. Welcome to the Visionary Women podcast, where we root deep and rise high together. This podcast is sacred medicine for the way we live and the way we lead. I'm your host, Therese Couture, and you'll come to find out that there's almost no topic that's off the table. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to invite you to join our free community where you'll receive occasional behind the scenes interviews, meditations, worksheets, and other tools to help you root deep and rise high. You'll also receive the Root Together, Rise Together playlist, and you'll be the first to know about workshops, retreats, circles, and much more. So join us over at visionarywomenpodcast.com and I will see you there. Okay, let's dive in. Welcome everyone. Today I have the pleasure and honor of speaking with Abigail Rose Clark. I have been a fan of Abigail's work for over a year now when I when I first encountered her. So I'm really excited to have this discussion with her and for her to meet you. So Abigail Rose Clark is a somatic educator focusing on strategic, tangible, embodied methods to create lasting change in our personal and communal lives, rippling out from individual to systemic change. By helping people truly inhabit their own skin and blood and guts and bones, she offers a way to re-enter into true relationship with the world. Abigail leads online and in-person workshops and learning communities and works with individuals, organizations, and small businesses offering clear, actionable ways to create systemic, strategic, and lasting change from the inside out. Thank you so much for being here, Abigail. I'm so happy to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. So the way that we start the show is with the question, how do you root deep? We just dive right in. So how do you root deep in in whatever area that's most coming up that's coming up for you right now? Ooh, um, I think that's a really great question. And uh, especially right now, like as we are talking just before the show, personally, you and I, you know, we acknowledge that right now as we're live, there's, you know, as always, there's a lot going on. But right now, as we're live, the Amazon fires are, are burning. And, and so not knowing what it's going to be like when this when this podcast goes live, um, the way that I root deep. Uh, the way that that I hold myself in these sort of unknown times is really to remember that I am of the earth and that the relationship that I have with the physical body of the earth, it literally forms me. Like my bones are formed by the pull of gravity. And so there's no way that I'm alone. And then there's that means that when I when I weep, I weep with the earth. When I feel joy, I feel joy with the earth. And so that can be overwhelming. But what I have found is that the way that I, if I can root myself deeply into the, into the continuous reality of that relationship, then I am, then I'm at least not alone in whatever emotions or whatever, whatever reality I'm facing. So I root deep by truly giving my weight down to the earth. Mm, I I really love that. And um, as you were just sharing, we spoke briefly about that the Amazon is burning. And yesterday I was thinking, oh my gosh, about the timing, the synchronicity that we're talking 
um, right around the time that right mm-hmm. on the time that this is happening in our world. And also for me yesterday, it was a mixture of really deep grief. Like this is where we are and mm-hmm. uh, really being upset, like, because, you know, the president of Brazil is denying that um, this is a problem, even though the Amazon supplies 20% of the entire world's oxygen and yeah. is the home to hundreds and hundreds of indigenous tribes. So when you say, I'm, you know, there's no way that I'm alone and that you're of the earth, that really I deeply connect with that because um, in in these times, I feel like, all that I can do besides, you know, calling representatives, donating, taking those kind of actions is really grounding into the earth. Mm-hmm. So I I love that you're connecting. I'm not alone to the relationship with the earth. So I want to possibly go a little backtrack because you identify as a somatic educator And for those of us listening who are like, okay, I've heard that, but what does that really mean? Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, thanks so much for asking. Um, So somatics uh, is uh, is about the body, soma meaning body. So it's a study of the body. What often happens is that somatics gets sort of um, confused with just meaning like mindfulness or, or even just a certain kind of like embodied awareness, like, oh, like where are my feet right now? Like, am I hot? Am I cold? Am I hungry? And those are really excellent questions, especially because in dominant mainstream culture, we're so continually separated from the way that we feel. And also through the nature of trauma um, and, you know, all the various ways that trauma shows up in any individual's lives, it's really common that we sort of lose track of where the body is. So those are really good questions, but for me, somatics goes goes a layer deeper, and is not just looking at you know how can I feel the body, but is actively exploring how the body both is formed by and informs culture. So what I mean by that is, um, I as an individual experience the world in a specific way through my identities. So I'm a white woman. Um, that means that my experience of the world come, and I have other identities too, but I'm just going to stick with those, with those two of, of race and gender, just to kind of keep it simple. Um, my, I, my experience of the world is heavily influenced by the fact that I am a woman in a patriarchal society, but I'm white in a white supremacist society. You know, you're a black woman. So you are, your experience of the world is heavily influenced by the intersections of those two identities. And we know this, you know, I'm guessing that people who are listening to you know this. I know that people who listen to me, you know, they know this. Um, But what we can forget is that that actually forms our bodies, you know, for better or worse, the way that the world sees us and treats us has a literal physical effect. And the, that causes a difference in my experience of my body versus someone else's experience of my body. So it's also not appropriate for me to say like my experience of my body is the experience. In somatics, if I think that just by by knowing that it like that it helps to, you know, breathe deeply, but I'm not taking the complexity of what it means to hold stress induced by living in a culture that is violent towards some towards me, then that's not doing that's not being fair that's not actually speaking to truth that's speaking to an this idealized idea that's where it comes to like you know oh just breathe like you know just breathe but then so there's that part where where somatics uh, the way that i see somatics is that we can actually see how the body is informed by is formed by culture but then on top of that we have to remember that culture is is created by people that culture is created by bodies and so it it, knowing that my action that my relationship with my own body with my relationship with every other person and every other other more than human body that I come into contact with 
can inform culture, that gives me some agency in a time when it can feel like there's just no way out from the intensity of what it means to be alive right now. So I can think of culture as something that's happening to me, which puts me in this kind of passive and kind of a victim role, or I can accept the agency that's involved in actively building culture but without first acknowledging that culture informs bo different bodies in different ways, then I can't take my agency in its fullness because then I'm going to be assuming that we're all coming from, at, from it from the same angle and we're not. So it's acknowledging that everybody is, is informed through both personal experience and personal experience is informed by identity. And then also acknowledging that we have a responsibility. There is power within us. To, to transform culture in the ways that we relate to our own bodies and then to other people's bodies. And that means like the way that we create relationships, not just the way that I might touch you, but the way that I meet you and build relationships with you or with anyone else. I hope that makes some sense. <laughs> yeah, you said so much amazing things there. And <laughs> what, you know, came up was how the relationship. So we're always in relationship. This isn't um, just in isolation. And what I have seen when people talk about embodiment, it's very me-orientated. <laughs> so yeah. it has nothing to do with the outside world. It's very, it's about, it's, it's the individualistic principles of a patriarchal and white supremacist society, right? Yes. That says, okay, you're an individual opposed to um, how indigenous cultures are and many other cultures throughout the world are, which sees the whole. So when just even saying that we are in relationship but the relationship between culture and our bodies, that's already, you know, blowing the lid off so many <laughs> things. It really is. Because we're, we're, when I see people teach about embodiment, I also talk and teach about that. It's very individual. It's about you. It's not really about relationships. Maybe it's about individual relationships if it comes to your spouse or your child, but not truly um, including the whole, it's, it's the mic micro and, and it's not the macro. So I feel like we miss so many opportunities for deeper healing when we don't face what, how culture informs the body. So yeah. I'm so happy that you're, you're doing this type of work. If you had to say it in one sentence, what does embodiment mean for, to you? Mm, that's a great question. One sentence? I'm such a wordy person. <laughs> okay, you can have more than one <laughs> sentence. <laughs> I mean, I think it really does boil down to embodiment is an acknowledgement of that of the relationships that create life, right? So it's like, and um, I'll, that's going to be the sentence. Embodies the, the acknowledgement of the relationships that, it, that create life, maybe the acknowledgement and also the... Um, the sort of lived exploration of that. But what I mean by those is that it's, yes, it's like the relationship between my body and the earth's body, like gravity. And I said this before, but gravity literally shapes my bones. So there's a relationship there that's I'm actively being pulled. I'm also actively being pushed by the, by the force. Like that's why we're not just flat as a pancake. Like there's a, a force moving through me that the earth is moving is, is pushing through me. Then there's also just the ways that the trillions of my cells are relating to one another. And that's what creates me that actually boundaries, like, you know, the boundaries between cells are, and the diversity of my cells is actually what creates me. And that just looking at that means that then I can look at how boundaries and diversity actually create more potential for life. They're not like this whole, we are one thing is actually a way oversimplification and it diminishes all of the various ways that life wants to be diverse. So embodiment to me is really, is this like wide open and engaged exploration. And it's a constant state of inquiry. Like what will I discover here? 
And inquiry is naturally a softness. There's naturally a soft place within integrity. So um, we can go more into that. I know that you said one sentence and I went off and said the sentence and a whole bunch of other sentences. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's, it's great. Um, what you said there is we are one. And I... I wanted to laugh out loud when you said that because yeah. the there's truth in that, but then there's so it's it's been it's been a phrase that has been used to gaslight to continue yeah. to oppress. So, you know, I guess the question is like, okay, so what what do you do if you're faced with someone who's come to work with you or is in one of your workshops that says, you know, but we are one and they're not mm-hmm they're not really understanding that. What do you say to that person? I mean, for me, a lot of it is just like, well, if we're one, then the suffering of others should hurt you so much that you can't do anything but do your best to to help them, right? Like, if we're actually one, then how how can you ignore the suffering of others, right? So it's like, I feel like we are one gets thrown out there as a way for people... I saw a tweet recently that I can't even remember who would have written it, but just like, if you're not hungry for justice, it's because you're too full of privilege. Mm. And it's like, I feel like the we are one line comes from people who don't want to give up the good stuff they've got going on. Right. And so like, yes, we are one that only pushes us deep more. We're one in the sense that like we're living on one planet. That's it. Like the pain of others nat- will will affect me. And so, yes, we're one. So, you know, that doesn't mean that we get to just like, that doesn't mean we all just like decide to get along if the getting along means that the suffering of others is now going to get ignored, which is really what hap- is really what's happening when people say we're all one. You know, like push on someone's, push on someone's goodie bag, you know, whatever it is, whether it's race privilege, class privilege, um, you know, like uh, national privilege, like, you know, like I've gotten, I've got an American passport. I've got all sorts of national privileges there. Push on someone's goodie bag and watch how quickly they want to move to the we are one card as a way to protect the goodie bag. And that's where I feel like the conversation has to go. So I try and stay soft with people when that's happening. And I don't always succeed because sometimes it's just really, it's like I can get punchy when I get heartbroken. But um you know, I try and stay soft with it, soft, soft enough with myself and with others so that we can start to see like, that's a def- that's a defense. That's not actually getting us anywhere. That's just defensive hardening against the truth, which is that, yeah, we are all in this, like in this together. So then what, you know? Mm, I'm, I'm just still back on that quote that you said, which I have to repeat. Oh yeah. <laughs> if you're not hungry for justice, it's because you're full of privilege. Exactly. And I got to look back and see who wrote that because I was just like, ooh, isn't that, some, isn't that something? <laughs> yeah, that's something. Yeah. And it actually brings me back to the Amazon rainforest. Yeah. And, and what I, I was thinking last night was within a matter of a few days, what is it, a billion dollars, over a billion dollars was raised for the Eiffel Tower. The Notre Dame. I'm like the Eiffel mm-hmm. Tower. The Notre Dame. Yeah. Within yeah. a few days, a billion dollars was yeah. raised for, for, for it to be rebuilt. And yesterday, you're barely hearing about it. It's not, I went on the different, you know, papers the 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 websites and it's not even on the front page like you really literally have to do a search and then it pops up so i mean to me that's heartbreaking so if if you know someone is saying we are one and you're not able to see how there's so much there's a disconnect within our world. We are not, it's not happening. You know, the, the Amazon is burning. It's not eliciting the same response as the Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah. And there's all sorts of reasons for that. You know, like there's the, there's, I think that there's, 
you know, there's the uh, the white supremacist reasons, which is that Notre Dame is like is from a colonizer culture. It's like seen as this pinnacle of culture versus these um, reservations of the Yanomami, which are the Yanomami, which are, you know, pinnacles of culture. And yet it's seen through that colonizer lens. It's seen as just as literally nothing. Right. Like they don't have these like arching cathedrals. So it's just like literally nothing. And then, and then when I, that part, so I think that, you know, and if, if that's new for folks, I really want to like hold people's feet to the fire to really hold that. Um, I'm speaking, you know, knowing that you and I uh, are aware of that. And so, you know, we can go more into it, you know, for folks in your audience, but then I also want to hold, like, I've been trying to sit with it since yesterday. Yesterday, I got really like, again, like you heartbroken. I got really, I still am very frustrated at the disconnect in, you know, we're also at the time right now where, you know, there's a huge cultural event that's now at this point international where it's Burning Man. And I don't want to get too hard on the Burning Man, on the Burning Man, you know, diatribe. Um, but it is really hard for me to understand how people can be traveling to the, in the desert to just within miles of the concentration camps. And then also setting things on fire when the Amazon is burning. I don't understand it. I'll never understand it. And it's really hard for me to hold any kind of softness around people who would defend that as a choice right now. What I'm trying to do to make my, to hold myself in a place of softness, because like hardness won't get me anywhere, is remember that sometimes when things feel completely un, like there's just nothing to be done, that that makes people feel like, like that makes people do nothing. So it's like the Notre Dame was one building. It's like, you know, some, a few billion, like there is a price tag on it. There's actually a way that we can quantify rebuilding that. And it's like, we'll never have the same history. And yeah, sure, like there's certain things will be different, but there's a way that we can quantify, like it'll cost this much to have that again. And the Amazon is unquantifiable. There's no way that we can put a price tag on what it means to be losing the Amazon right? Like there's just no way. And so I, I'm trying to hold some softness there for folks denying it. And for folks like, you know, turning away in that maybe it's because it's just so much to hold that there's literally nothing that we can do. And it's mostly just for myself so that I don't sit here just like hating on people because that's not going to get me anywhere. (laughs) And maybe then also as a way of, of like being able to actually have conversations with people about what is going on. Like, we can't turn away from this. This is, this is just, you know, like this is the rest of our lives, right? Like this is, this could make it so that we can't, we're not going to win the, the, the struggle against climate change. Like this could mean that we're all like, I don't even know what the fallout could be. We don't know. We've never lived through this before. Um, but I'm trying to hold that today after really just getting so frustrated with people yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it's been, you you know, you said coming from a soft place, landing, you know, being able to hold that softness. Mm -hmm. And I want to say something about what you what you shared about the the unquantifiableness of the Amazon. And I think also, to me, the Amazon represents or is a reminder of something that wasn't able to be conquered or colonized. Mm. And mm. when something is, and it's deep, so I don't necessarily think it's something that is conscious. I think it's unconscious. Mm. So the it represents something that wasn't able to be touched in many ways by colonialism. Of course, it's been touched in the sense of that our our environment and our climate is being destroyed through capitalism, et cetera. And that's how they've been touched. But in terms of their culture, in terms of their religion, their way of their ways of being in community, that hasn't been touched. Yes. And I'm like, oh, that's a blow to the ego because (laughs) if that's if that's the operating mode of being in in this 
patriarchal society, right? It's operating mainly from the ego perspective. So I guess the question that is like coming up is like, okay, so there's so much to hold right now. And I'm sure there are many people who feel like I'm holding a lot already. Like, how Mm -hmm. can I even hold more? I feel like, and I think depending on where you are in your life, some people could feel like, okay, um, could be at the denial end of the spectrum, or some people could be like, I'm holding a lot in my life right now. I mean, I know for me, I have my son who is, you know, two and a half, a little over two and a half, and that's a lot being a mom you know being part of my community trying to integrate but i know that so many people feel like i just can't anymore so what do you say to those people Whew. i mean yeah it's like life is a lot you know just like just the day to day being alive is um is a lot and then it's like you know and then we've got this other thing on top of it i feel like um I feel like this again, it comes down, it comes into relationship. I feel like there's, it is so hard to hold so much alone. And that is, that is one of the like most insidious and most heartbreaking things about dominant culture is the way that it forces us alone, right? Like through all the very many different ways that, um, that we're supposed to earn enough money to be able to just support ourselves. It's not supposed to be like a communal thing that we get pushed into these, like into these lives that spend more and more and more time alone. And then also the sort of that we are one sort of false positivity culture that makes it so that, you know, if you're having a hard time, it's a, it's a a failing on your own part. You're supposed to be able to like see the way through. And so you know, of course we're grieving, right? Like, of course we are feeling the intensity because we are actually so intimately related to the earth. Like our bodies have so much in common with, with tributaries, the nervous system, you you look at it and it looks like, it looks like waterways, right? Like brain cells look like uh, a watershed. of course, we're grieving and struggling when, when so much is being, when toxins are being poured into those watersheds or they're being dammed up or now they're burning. So I think that the, like, the way to hold ourselves through it is in these relationships. But I can't ask you to hold all of me because that's not fair to you, right? So this is where. This is where it does come into, you know, in in all of the work that I do, whether I'm working with organizations and businesses or individuals, one of the first things I ask people to do is to, is to just, is to breathe more deeply and to feel the ground underneath them, because that's how you can, that's how we have something to push off of and to push into. And then also, if I can feel the ground underneath me, then I can ask you to hold me, but I'm not going to ask you to hold all of me. And that's, that's, I think, how we can find some resilience in, our, in, in the ways that we are inherently interconnected. Um, so, yeah, it's, and, that's, and that doesn't take away from the fact that the system isn't fair. It's built to not be fair. And like, you know, that me, I like, that's one thing for me to say, I've got a roof over my head. And I know that like, you know, when I'm hungry, there's food to eat and bills might be tight sometimes, but like, you know, things are all right. And so that's something like, you know, that's something to, to hold for myself too, that sitting from where I am in the system as it is for me, there's diff, there's a, like, that's what I was saying about like, that we can't pretend like we don't, like we're not differently affected differently by the way that by the way culture is informing and forming us and yet like we can all hold each other more deeply when we feel the earth underneath us and when we recognize that the the strength comes in not pretending that we're alone in this we're not forcing ourselves to be alone in this so that's what i would say i love 
how you shared about being able to be held, but also Mm -hmm. being able to hold ourselves Mm -hmm. and how embodiment, the practicing embodiment and which is, I feel like at the heart, it's always like you are not alone. We're mm-hmm. in this together, practicing that and even being able to give some of it to the earth is a way through. And it's a way to enter into softness because mm-hmm. you were just sharing how you had to move from being, you know, angry. It, that wasn't the exact words that you used, but to moving from those frustrating feelings to being able to hold softness, can you share a little bit about that journey? <laughs> I mean, sure. I think, well, part of it happened is that I made a, I made a post on Facebook about, about, you know, Burning Man and the, and the Amazon fires burning and then realized that really what I was just realized that what was happening is that people who didn't agree with me were getting defensive and people who did agree with me were just like, you know, nodding along. And I do think that there's a that there's value in naming these connections. Like, hey, why are we burning things for fun right now? Like, yeah, you know, seriously. You know, like, <laughs> like seriously, why? And then as I was reflecting, I was like, all right, well, maybe this didn't have. I'm not sure if it's the if that's the skill set I want to be um, developing. I don't really have like a clear answer on how to do that because it's also just like when do we just like when am I basically like um, coddling others, you know, because I mean, it was all people of a certain identity. It was all white folks <laughs> saying that, like, you know, I think this is fine. You know, like, why don't you, you know, Burning Man is fine. And again, it's like, you know, that's a we're talking about just like one small thing. And like, maybe it's not like the biggest and it's definitely not the biggest thing. And there's that's it would be silly to allow the conversation to get derailed by um by like one thing and so that's what I'm trying to to notice in myself when in my feelings of frustration and defensiveness do I allow the conversation to derail into now um you know now trying to explain like you know now trying to explain what I meant versus how can I be soft how can I reach for other people rather than push other people away um that feels that's what i am reflecting on um and reflecting on that and just thinking about like what is the difference between reaching for someone and put and and pushing someone else away even when i find even when a certain behavior um feels so difficult to accept Right. Or or even when helplessness makes me want to push because, you know, like you're a mom of a young kid. Like when we're around two year olds, it becomes really clear when they're when they feel helpless is when they like, you know, that's when the temper tantrum comes. And it makes sense. It's like such a human response to feel helpless and then to just like do and then to just push, even if it makes no sense to push on what you're pushing on. Right. Like um, like pushing on mom is like the, <laughs> like the classic. And so I'm just trying to think like to feel that one and hold that one really steady to, to watch myself when the helplessness and the heartbreak makes you want to push rather than reach for someone. And I'm using the, the verb reaching for someone in this, um, some dear, dear humans to me, uh, holistic resistance, the people who, who uh, run holistic resistance, they use that word. That word is the, that's their main verb is to reach for each other. And so I think about, them and I think about like the the art and skill of reaching for each other and how much softness has to be present if we're really going to reach for each other and how that momentary sort of like this feels good to push on you you know because I'm just I'm mad and I'm frustrated and I can't believe it you know um how that actually doesn't get me where I want to go so to reach rather than to push but to push against what I want to push against, which is like the system in all of its ways, because I'm definitely going to push against that. But how do I push against that while reaching for other people? Oh, that's that's the question. And <laughs> <laughs> that really the is question. the question. That is the question. And I think 
within the conversation, there were a lot of, a lot of um, clues. Mm-hmm. And the, and what came to me as you were talking was when you said that that phrase, we are one. So we are one. If you truly believe that, if your friend's house is on fire, you don't start a fire. You go right. get water. Yeah. So I think for so many people, it's an invitation to to sit with the choices, like the choices that we make, the the unconscious choices. Sometimes it's just like, you know what? I've been going to this festival for a decade or I've been doing this for a very long time. However, now's the time to maybe bring a bit more awareness of like, okay, in this world, right now, today, the Amazon is burning. Is this truly aligned with my values? Is this how I want to be in the world? If my friend's home was burning, would I go burn or would I get water? Um, So to me, one of the things that I always, because I don't have all the answers, I I always invite people to ask the questions because Mm -hmm. a lot of things with living in our society of white supremacy, of patriarchy, we have automatic ways of thinking, of being, of doing things. And when it's challenged, it's 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 a privilege that's being challenged, right? Yes. So it goes back to that that quote of if you're not hungry for justice, it's because you're full of privilege. Yeah, it's so true. And it's like, I mean, I want to make sure that I'm also not trying to avoid like doing that similar thing of just like trying to avoid um, the ways that I ignore that my neighbor's house is burning um, by choosing something easier, right? Where it's just like, I mean, I see this all the time. It's kind of like, um, you know, ever since Trump was elected, uh, there's just, there's this, they'll, he'll do something as he does. And then there'll be this flurry of folks being just like, look at how horrible that thing that he did is as this way of distancing themselves from ever having done anything even remotely similar. And so that way of like distancing ourselves from the ways that we um, distancing ourselves by saying that what someone else is doing is worse is really different than using the opportunity as like, all right, so where am I doing something similar, right? Like, where am I ignoring? Where am I, um, you know, like lighting something on fire while my neighbor's house is burning rather than going and getting water or just walking away because it's not my house, right? Like, I feel like that's even more, huh, like that also like is apparent. heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, it's heartbreaking. It is. And like, I, I know that it, like in many ways I'm doing it, right? Because I, I'm sitting where I'm sitting. I'm not actually like camped outside one of the concentration camps. Unfortunately. There's all sorts of ways that make that this is that that my life doesn't have the the flexibility, or so I say, to go and sit outside of the concentration camps. But I think more and more, like that that whole of saying, like, well, you're doing something worse than me, so that makes me better. That makes me a good person, and you a bad person. Like I want to watch myself for where it's tempting to go into that hole. While simultaneously being willing to 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 step on toes by saying things that need that deserve to be said, because the other like the alternative of just like staying staying quiet is not the alternative, right? It's like if I can just like make it clear for myself and for all of everyone listening, it's like it's one thing to push on something and say like this is unacceptable as a way of naming the thing as unacceptable for all of us to bear witness to, right? Like this is like these behaviors are now in are now and have always been, but are now even more apparently unacceptable. And so we are all responsible for making different choices. It's another thing to name those behaviors as unacceptable as a way of pushing the, pushing the, um, the, 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 the magnifying glass onto other people so that I can sit over here and be like, well, I'm better because I didn't do that unacceptable thing. So I'm actually, I'm better than you, which in a binary world means that I'm good and that, you know, you're bad. 
but in a full spectrum world, which is the one that we actually live in, then it just means that I'm on the same spectrum. And so, yeah, like I'm not, I'm not like one step to the left or the right, but I'm still on the same spectrum. So where can I see my way? Where can I look for ways to move the cult, to move the culture into a different way, to move the, the, to move our lives in a different way than just this sort of like, as long as I'm not doing something that bad, I'm good. Hmm. You know, yeah, I'm holding myself to that right now. Like, very strongly. <laughs> yeah. What what what's coming is like moving away from superiority or righteousness and realizing that we all have our shadows, right? So yeah, if we're definitely. seeing a shadow of uh, someone's behavior, what we can do is like use that as a way to heal our own shadows, even though if it's not being it's not being presented or shown in the same way. However, in the same breath, it's not its not to say, oh, because we ha- all have shadows, we're all one, so therefore, I'm not going to say anything about the Amazon is burning. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, Just because we're not perfect. We have to hold both. We have to absolutely hold both. Like, And I think that that's something, I mean, I know that you came into my work when I was doing um, anti-racism courses, like specifically anti-racism courses, all my work is still are still anti-racism courses. It's just that I've moved from, from the, you know, from, I've actually moved from telling people that's what we're going to be doing. (laughs) And that was by design actually like creates more softness when we walk into the room. Um, That there is this, like, this idea that just by naming the thing, then that makes me better is not actually making anything better. So how can I, instead of like just naming that the thing is a thing, actually go through my own life and look to where that thing has its roots in me and disentangle myself from it rather than thinking that just because I've named the thing a thing, right? Like I put hashtag Black Lives Matter on a thing and now that makes me above the rest. That makes me like, you know, that makes me better than those other people that don't know or that, you know, even that like that that makes me better than those people that are that are saying the opposite. It's not about being better or worse. It's about the fact that like we're in a mess right now and somehow we've got to figure out how to communicate with each other and relate to each other because the way that it's going is not taking us anywhere good. So superiority won't actually Superiority just makes things, just forces us into a, into a control state, right? And, and even I think to kind of circle back to what we were talking about embodiment, I think that that is actually one of the reasons why embodiment is taken to be this individual thing and that it's some sort of way of being, being superior, even if it's just about being superior to who you were before. So it's like if I meditate every day or if I do yoga every day or if I, you know, just do any of these things every day, that makes me better, better than myself and, you know, kind of by default, better than you if you're not doing that. And it gives me these commodities of, you know, of even even using health as a commodity, as this thing that is the product of what I'm doing rather than going into it as this is how we are alive like this is what is this is what being alive is it's being in these relationships it's being in these bodies that are so deeply and intrinsically woven into the world that to pretend like we're isolated is this is like the ultimate gaslight <laughs> you know it's like the ultimate trick on ourselves to think that we're all isolated from the way that from the rest of the world around us. And so, yeah, we are all one, you know, we're all one and also incredibly diverse. I have, and it's never about me trying to understand what your life is like. It's about me trying to, it's about me having curiosity to know how, how we are related, how we are relating to each other. And that includes a curiosity to what your life is like. It's not about me trying to be like, oh yeah, I get it, right? Or like, I know what it's like for you because that's not, there's no inquiry there. There's no softness there. So So I think, you know, what you're, what, what I'm feeling is about what you're saying is that especially for 
people who are in the world, let's say just the world where I want to help people do this, be better. And I put Mm -hmm. better, I'm doing air quotes (laughs) because there is no better, but um, it's, it's a very fine line and it's a very fine line. And for me, one of the ways that, you know, I'm dancing that line is being able to hold the paradoxes, being Mm -hmm. able to hold both. Um, Yes, it's this and that. It's not, you know, you're, it's not male or female. It's, it's, it's a spectrum. It's a spectrum and being able to be with the spectrum. And I think part of our minds is that we want to categorize. We want to be like, okay, that's a cup. I'm going to put that in the cupboard or, you know, that's a pen that goes in the pen holder. We want to be able to categorize things because in some ways that makes us more efficient. And however, we can't really do that. We can't, or it's not healthy, I think, to do that to this extent with human relationships, with relating to the earth. and we have to be flexible going back to what you were sharing about ourselves and the boundaries. We have to be flexible and malleable with, with our boundaries. Um, yeah. So what, what I want to ask you this question, which is what led you to do this work? What was your dark night of the soul that that led you here maybe you didn't have one but (laughs) i'm always fascinated to hear was there a dark night of the soul that led you and and i say that knowing that we all have many dark nights of the soul yeah so i (laughs) I want to say that first (laughs) oh yeah no it wasn't just a night (laughs) i mean um yeah, my my uh, late teens and early 20s, um, I guess I should just say like as a content warning that I will be talking a bit about eating disorders right now, but not in detail. Um, because that really was my, um, my dark night was, uh, was the late teens, early 20s, um, having a, a pretty severe eating disorder. And um, and just really not knowing how to be safely in a body that is prey in um, in toxic masculinity culture, um, and so I kind of I kind of just like left, um, and I left through various different ways and various different methods um, through through like I said eating disorders and drug use and and all sorts of toxic behaviors. And then ultimately, and I first got into somatics from a place of looking to control my body. Like I was like, this, you know, yoga journal always has these skinny white models on the cover. Like, you know, I forget how many um, women of color they've had on the cover, but it's like shameful, like less than five, I want to say. And definitely when I was looking at it, it was all like, you know, the same type of body, the same kind of look. And that's what I thought would make me somehow safer because at least then people would believe me when I, people would believe me and see me as worthy of protection. Um, and that's the, that's the toxic mess of, um, of, of white femininity. Um, so which is like a whole other podcast interview. <laughs> um, so what ended up happening is that I was basically outside of myself trying to use yoga as a way to keep myself outside of myself and to really control myself and to sort of, and to, you know, to sidestep around all of the painful realities. I figured if I could just, you know, like I could meditate the pain away. Um, And then I found uh, my primary teacher who has since become like more of like a second mom to me. Her name is Patty Townsend. And, she developed the style of yoga that I've studied for it's going close to 15 years now called embody yoga, which um, is really uh, it's somatics in within yoga. So it's yoga from like this inside out perspective where rather than just thinking about the shapes that bodies can make, it's about really considering like when I push my hand into the floor, what does that like, how can I direct the push, but then also receive the like receive the push back that will grow my body into a certain shape. And there's a lot I could say about that, but um, finding that 
was what uh, really started to open up whole gateways of of just of rejoining my body after many years of trying to push it away. Um, and then it was one of those things where it's not like I just like ever one day was like, I'm going to start, I'm going to do this thing. It was just one, it was something where little by little, first working with people, um, like from a physical perspective, like helping people out in, I was an exercise therapist for a while. So helping people with injuries and helping people sort of, uh, heal their body from different, um, mainly spinal injuries. I started to realize that the more people got in touch with their bodies, the more their lives shifted and the way that they saw their lives within the greater context shifted. And it was one of those things where it was like, oh, so it's not just me that this happens to. It's not just, you know, I'm not the, I'm, this is not the exception. This is the rule that if you get into your body and realize that your body's constantly in a relationship, then things shift. And so that's really how I got into it and then went back to school for exercise science and psychology, like kind of the way to sort of um, get some more formal training on some of this stuff. Um, and then it's just been this, uh, this real honor to be able to work with people. I think that that's, that's my, it's a, it's a great joy in my life that I get to work with people and see how this continues to work. It's like, if this ever stops working, I'll gladly set it down and find something else to do because there's a lot of reasons why working for yourself is not the most fun <laughs> or the most relaxing. I mean, I'm sure you know, but it's like it continues to work. And so I just am continuing to be willing to do the, to let the work move through me. So that's how I kind of got into it. <laughs> Yeah, there's something that you actually wrote on your website, and I really loved it, and I want to read it. Okay. You wrote, when you know how to root down into what is true, your growth is revolutionary. And when you know how to yield to the strength in the earth and find strength in your bones, that makes you a revolutionary. Mm. Yeah, I like that. So part. good. <laughs> so yeah. good. So yeah. good. And so how do we rise up? How can we rise up to be yeah. revolutionaries? And some people might even feel like, well, I'm not a revolutionary. <laughs> so maybe yeah. you want to even define that a little bit um, for, yeah. for us as well. Sure. I mean, I think that we all know that a different world is necessary. I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's hard to remember all the time that another world is possible, but we all know that another world is necessary. So a revolution is really, you know, and this, this I'm, I'm leaning into the works of, of our, of Grace Lee Boggs, you know, our movement ancestor um, who, who said that a revolution is an evolution. Like we're becoming more human humans together. And so I think that the way that we can create the change that we all know is so necessary, like, and it, you know, maybe not all of us, I don't want to say all, but definitely if folks are listening to you and to me, and especially this late, they like this deep into the, into this conversation, like, you know, right. Like speaking to you in the future, listening, like, you know, that the world, that another world is necessary for, our children, you know, blood relation and otherwise, and also just for ourselves and for the world as a whole. So that means not only that we're trying to, you know, dismantle these systems that are built on violence and isolation and supremacy and control, we also have to find a new way forward. And that's an evolution of ourselves because of the ways that culture is both is informing our bodies and is informed by our bodies. So if I don't look into my own body for the way that supremacy lives in me and control lives in me, then I won't be able to create new ways of being. I won't be able to evolve. But evolution also, you know, we're always in relationship and evolution happens in relationship. It's like, it's like there was a, I forget who said it, but like someone would say like, you know, if you think you've evolved, like go spend a week at home with your parents because it's like, then you'll see where all of your stuff grows up. 
I always think about it, you know, it's like, it's so easy to sit back and just be like, well, I've got it all figured out, you know, and then you get into something and you're just like, I do not have it figured out at all. (laughs) And that's because relationships push on us, you know, it's like, when I'm single, oh, yeah, I've totally got this figured out. Like, I'll never have any relationship issues ever again. Then it's just like, you know, in a partnership, I'm just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't have this figured out at all. So, you know, we, we evolve in relationship. We evolve when we find the edges, when we're pushing up against something. We're all in a collective push right now. But even in our regular day-to-day lives, like there's ways that we're being pushed. And so this is where we have to evolve the evolution is the revolution so that but it has to be i think personally that there has to be an inherent softness in that and softness doesn't mean weakness softness actually is the radical strength that comes from being able to let go of that control and release into those relationships including the primary one of a relationship with the earth so yeah I love that. Softness is the radical strength. I I love that. We can all like print that out and put that up because <laughs> I, I think we just need a daily reminder of that, especially with everything that is going on. Yeah. Um, so if you can share an, uh, an action step or, and it could just be a baby step of what mm-hmm. um, someone listening can do to bring this work we talked about so much more into their lives what what would you say oh that's such a good question i mean one of the things that um that that quote that you pulled from my website actually comes from um the the part where i'm describing anchor which is the online community that i i offer for folks and we talk about action steps you know in different in various different ways so one way that we've been doing it now, you know, in August, each month we have a different kind of focus. And in August, we've been focusing on beauty and in really um, turning towards beauty and allowing beauty to soften us, like really allowing that practice of looking towards what is beautiful be an act of softening, but holding it in the complexity that, um, holding it in the complexity that just like it doesn't mean that I'm trying to turn away from what's ugly it means that I'm opening myself up to recognize beauty where it exists and to soften into the world in a way where you know beauty is a trust thing right like I trust what is you know I trust the green grass I trust the the you know like the soft blanket I trust these things that I might consider beautiful and that trust is a softening in itself So I think that one thing that folks can do is to, you know, give yourself that gift of turning towards what is beautiful, knowing that it doesn't mean that you're turning away from the rest of the world as well, right? Like that's not the, that, that we don't, that we are really complex and we're able of holding so many paradoxes. Like you said, it's really about, I love that you said that that it really is about holding the paradox. So, you know, a thing that we can do is soften into the joyful laugh of a child or soften into um, just like the beauty of a flower or soften into um, even just like the touch of my hand on something soft, even if that softness is my own skin. And then another thing to do is to feel the ground underneath us like as often as possible because there's always some ground underneath us like even if we're you know in a car or a house or a skyscraper there's something holding us right like even in a plane where it's like oh yeah okay well gotcha like there's one place where there's no earth underneath us but it's actually the air currents of the earth herself themselves itself not sure what pronoun to use for the earth i think them is actually they them is the pronoun for the earth. So this is actually like, you know, even in a plane, it's the earth themselves still holding us up, even if it's in the form of air currents and the ways that um, that planes ride those currents. So there's always something of the earth holding us. And the more that I can soften into that, the more I can then be soft with you 
and then the more beauty we can explore and discover together and that's where how we evolve into a beautiful evolution a beautiful evolution so i just have like (laughs) a smile on my face because um i'm going to post all the links um, to your website and also to your course anchor. But I'm smiling because also in my course, my I have a year long course. And this month, we're focusing on rest. And Ooh. it's all about pleasure and beauty and all and just oh, being able to rest. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, and, yes. so mutual, I just love those. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And, and, and also it, um, what you're doing to me, it also helps us see our relationship to this culture mm-hmm. and how the culture has shaped us in, in ways that we might not like. And so I, I love the turning towards beauty, um, or even turning and allowing yourself to rest and, seeing how that's that's actually contrary to everything that um we're currently experiencing in yes. many ways yeah um so i have one more question and the question is if there's one question that you've always wanted someone to ask you or even a, a question that you've all, you want us to ask ourselves yeah. what's that question such a good question. <laughs> so, you know, we've been talking a lot about hope and about, well, we've been talking a lot about like being present. And I think that there is this need for hope in it. Um, you know, I know that part of the reasons that it's so hard right now is because it can feel really hopeless. So a question I would love to ask you and, you know, to ask each other is what does give us hope like where do we find hope because i think that hope can be a um a way of turning away it can be a way of sort of like being pollyanna on the whole thing but hope is also this real like it's a it's a way of being of living in of 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 being in the future it's a way of believing in the future so where do you find hope I love that question. Do you want to answer it or should I answer? I'd love if you answered it. I'll answer it. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, Where do I find hope? And the first thing I'm like, I I probably will start crying in a second, but is my son. Um, Mm. That's where I find hope. And I think for a long, not a long time, but I've thought like, well, why would anyone want to bring a child into this earth? And my son came and with him, I only see and experience beauty, even in the hard moments. And there are so many hard moments. There's so many, so many like moments that have brought me to my knees. I'm like, can I do this? This is so overwhelming. It's stretching me. It's pushing me to my edge. But he gives me hope. Mm. And when I see children, that gives me hope. But definitely our relationship, my son and I, um, that relationship gives me hope. Because no matter what I see, when he looks at me, he doesn't see my flaws. He sees perfection. Like I'm his mom. Like, you know, I could be having a bad day and I'm just a little bit not as patient. And he always comes back and he holds me. There's always what we're talking about, a softness, like just a softness. Um, so that gives me hope. Mm. Wow. Thank you for that. That's so beautiful. <laughs> That's really so beautiful. Thank you for asking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I know that right before we were talking, uh, we were doing the recording, I mentioned um, that I have a, a almost three-year-old in my life too. She's not my biological family, but she, um, we've been in each other's lives since she was just an idea. And, um, you know, it's really different, of course, because she, I'm not her mom, but um, just being around that, being around the fierceness of, 
an almost <laughs> three-year-old and the, the fierceness and the softness. Oh, I really, I can, I can relate to much of that for sure. And she definitely gives me hope in really, really big ways. Like even she doesn't speak, she speaks kind of almost her own language. I mean, she speaks, she speaks actually Spanish and English, but then she also speaks something that I'm not sure what language it's coming from, but she loves to grab my hands and just talk about the stars. I have no idea what she's saying, but she's saying a lot. And it just gives me so much joy whenever she wants to just tell me all about them. (laughs) I'll listen. (laughs) Oh, that is so sweet. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thanks for bringing a, thanks for bringing one of the, the light ones into the, into the world, the soft ones in here. Oh, the soft ones, the soft ones. Thank you. It's been so beautiful to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for sharing, um, for just being in the in this, like just being in this cauldron and and exploring. Um, yeah, thank, thank you. you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, it's always so much easier. You know, I think that that really is a huge thing that gives me hope is that when I know that we're, when I know there's others too when i when i see life like life reaching for itself and that takes the form of of humans reaching for each other that gives me hope so thank you for being a source of hope for me wasn't that so amazing ah it was so nourishing to have this conversation thank you abigail for sharing your wisdom with us and there's more where that came from there's a bonus interview where I dive into one juicy question with Abigail and you can access it for free. Simply head over to visionarywomenpodcast.com and sign up and you'll receive that and much more as a member of our community. Before you go, please be sure to subscribe and rate and leave a review for this podcast. It really helps us to find more of our listeners and really get the word out. And of course, you can feel free to share it with a friend. Lastly, the Visionary Women Mastermind is currently open. This experience is a six-month healing and leadership circle, and together we weave a new world, bring forth your sacred gifts, medicine, and magic. The experience weaves together retreats, private and group coaching, healing, ritual, ceremony, special guests, and a loving community of visionary women. You can apply and soak in the beauty of this experience over at visionarywomen.com. Thank you again for listening, and I will talk to you on the next episode.